0: the Development Policy Centre podcast. In this episode, we bring you the recording of a recent event titled New Approaches to Tackling Gender-Based Violence in Papua New Guinea.
1: Welcome to everyone, thank you for coming, <coughs> it's great to get up have such a good turnout uh, and it shows the interest in and the importance of the issues that we'll be discussing today. My name is Stephen Howes and I'm the Director of the Development Policy Centre and we are co-hosting uh, the event today along with the Lowe Institute. Uh, Let's begin by acknowledging the first Australians, the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting, and let us pay our respects to the elders of the non people, past and present. Uh, I'm not uh, chairing today's event, so I am really just here to uh, introduce the chair and to um, say a few thank yous, and then I'll sit down and I'll hand over to Sally Moyle. So thank you very much, uh, Sally. Sally is the uh, branch, the head of the gender branch within uh, DFAT. And um, it's really great to have, have you here and have your support. So thank you. I'll let Sally introduce the other speakers, um, but I'll just uh, have, give a few thanks. Uh, first of all, to our speakers, uh, thank you all for coming. you all come a long way uh, to be here, and uh, we're really looking forward to, to hear what you have to say. Uh, I want to thank the Australian Aid Program. They provide uh, significant support to uh, family PNG. Uh, one of the uh, NGOs here, and uh, in a range of other ways uh, to organisations such as ourselves here at the Development well Policy Centre to make events like this possible, so thank you very much. Um, I don't think the Deputy High Commissioner is here, but uh, Sakaias uh, came visited us last night and uh, maybe coming here, so thank you to the PNG High Commissioner for their support. Thanks a lot to Jonathan and uh, Anna from the Lowe Institute. This is a joint effort, and it's a speaking tour. They're off to Sydney to speak at the Lowe Institute, so it's great to have that exposure. Uh, To my colleagues at the Development Policy Centre, it's a lot of work to put in an event like this, but also um, we provide a lot of uh, ongoing uh, pro bono support to uh, family PNG. So Kath and uh, uh, Ashley and Husnia, I can't see you all now, but thank you very much for all that you do. I want to especially mention Stephanie, Stephanie Purvis Campbell. She's involved with, uh, from in numerous ways with the event today on the board of the Oil Search Foundation, she's on the board of Family PNG, and uh, she's on the board of Harold Mitchell Foundation, and the Harold Mitchell Foundation provides our core funding uh, for Development Policy Centre. So without that, we wouldn't be able to have this event. So thank you very much, Stephanie, for all that you do. Uh, that's enough thank yous from me, but I am going to make one more remark, which is a pitch. Uh, we don't normally do this. In fact, I think in the uh, like five years of events and uh, over, I'm sure, a couple of hundred events, uh, we've made a fundraising pitch before, but uh, I'm going to now. We support Family PNG. Uh, it's not just a research exercise for us. It's also an uh, uh, a extension of our uh, support and capabilities, and uh, we do get funding from the A program, but we also raise funds for the organization. Um, we raise funds in PNG, but it's a partnership with Australia, so we raise funds here. And it so happens that on uh, Sunday, uh, I'm going to run a half marathon uh, with my wife. And uh, my wife is here, so I'm just going to embarrass her by uh, pointing her out there, Claire. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of our sons, Matthew, we're all going to be plodding around the lake on Sunday morning to raise funds for Family PNG. So, uh, if you'd like to sponsor us, uh, we have a F POS machine outside. <laughs> so if you're inspired by what you hear, please stop on your way out. There is actually, there are refreshments afterwards, so we've given you an incentive to stay back <laughs> and linger. Unfortunately, I won't be here because I have to take Danga off to a media interview. Uh, Ashley will be here, and she'll be very happy to help you. There she is with the f machine, so please do consider sponsoring us in our half marathon on Sunday. All right, that's enough for me. Over to Sally. work.
2: There it is. Thanks everybody. Um, I hope this, this lapel mic is working. Uh, so thanks Stephen for the kind of invitation to speak today. It's fabulous to have the opportunity to speak about uh, an issue that's uh, long <coughs> been at the forefront of our mind in, in thinking about PNG and its development but uh, is at a particular time in the development of of responses to it and we're really privileged to have here representatives from government in Anna Solomon, uh, from community sector and also from uh, the private sector and I think absolutely we're beginning to recognise that no one sector is able to work on, uh, to respond to violence against women on its own, that we need all of us pulling together in in, in unison. So it's great to have the opportunity and we thought the best uh, approach for this would be to treat this as a conversation and so we'll uh, I'll, I'll coordinate a few questions to our panellists, but um, we should uh, treat this extra conversation and I'll pause at, at relevant times in order to give speakers, uh, the audience the opportunity as well to participate. So if you've got burning questions, put your hands up and when a moment comes, we'll make sure we give you the opportunity as well. Uh, and I think we've got a good time for this conversation, so nearly an hour and a half. So let me introduce our speakers. Um, Anna <coughs> Solomons, the Secretary of the Department for Community Development and Religion in PNG, based in Port Moresby, of course, and is a bureaucrat of long-standing uh, and experience. And so it's fabulous to have you uh, here with, with all of your experience, having worked across all of the social policy departments in Papua New Guinea. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Anna. We've also got Denga Ilavi, who's the Operations Manager <coughs> for Family PNG and um, clearly a, a member of the... Uh, community sector, so it's fabulous to have your your perspectives about what's happening on the ground and at the front at the forefront of the response to domestic violence. so thank you for coming to denga and of course Kimberly Kipora who's the chief executive of Oil Search foundation in Papua New Guinea and uh, has only been in the position for a couple of months after um travelling uh, working for Diffid in Kenya i understand and um, but having been in the private sector for a long time and so will bring particular perspectives and um, as you've only been in this position for a couple of months, it reflects the situation for the private sector, which I think is really only just beginning to, to engage on uh, violence against women as a, a critical business issue. So, uh, you know, your your journey is the journey of the private sector. <laughs> uh, so I might just um, ask... I mean, I, I feel quite positive, actually, about the way uh, where violence is positioned now in PNG in terms of the recognition of it as a critical issue for development for... Growth and uh, for community development as well, and uh, let alone as an issue of gender equality. So I feel that we're coming to a different stage in the development of the response, and wondering what your thoughts are about uh, where it's at, where whether trends are going up and down, whether there's any changes and opportunities to, to think differently about this issue. I might start with you, Anna. <coughs> and can we put your lapel okay. mics on and turn them on? Because I think we'll need them for the streaming. Yeah.
3: Well, thank you, Sally, and um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, From a government perspective, and um, being a woman and knowing where we come from, the villages we come from, and seeing some of the journey that we've taken, as an individual and as a government and as a country, too, I would start with... um, Us recognizing in Papua New Guinea our social safety network, which were really our family and our clans and our tribe, and before we had any social protection policies or laws in place, we found safety and comfort in a family environment. And so if there was violence, there was safety home right there in the community without having to look for a formal safety net known by everybody, a home shelter or somewhere else. It was right there in the family or in the extended family network. And that's how families operated, not only in gender-based violence areas, but where disabled children or people were concerned. We didn't have to look for an institution where we could house them. Families automatically took care of their own we also had, um, when it came to an orphanage, parents died. We didn't have to look for an, an institution. Automatically, a family member took on board the, the responsibility. So as government now, we want to still recognize that strength that we have and, and not be influenced by anything else that's happening around the country, but recognize that strength, how do we still strengthen that, but with the recognition of economic growth, um, increasing modern technology, and also um, just trying to just trying to find a balance between that and our safety net that was always there which is why you will see that the government still has not talked about uh, too, too strongly on institutions and orphanage, having those available to place those that need help. Instead, we've, we've looked at all our, our laws, yes. family laws that we have in place. Um, we also noted that many of them were outdated. They were not responsive <laughs> to all the changes that happened. So as a government, we looked at the legislative environment, we looked at all the family laws, and we tried to make sure that we updated and, and we brought it to current. And I'm happy to say that we now have the Family Protection Act, we repealed the Sorcery um, Act um, and just look at it as a criminal matter. We also have the Lookout in Pekinini Act um, that focuses on the best interest of a child. And um, and we have also our national disability policy that uh, we have a lot of vulnerable women in that sector that needs to be represented well um, when, when they need legal um, representation or any other matter. So we've looked at all of that together. And um, now it's ensuring that people are aware of these laws. We are in a country where we have um, different levels of um, government, we have different levels of education. We have people who are still um, learning to read and write you still some are still illiterate. so how do we get this message? not just keep it at the national level and the provincial level, but how do we get it right to the to the district and to the village level? How can we translate some of these laws and policies and good projects into Community language. Yeah. So that's the genuine, the, the, the oh, yeah, mm. that I've that we, we seen um, that's happening good. from government. It's uh, a great
2: summary. Thank you for that. And I might ask Denga, Denga, how do you see it on the ground in communities? Are people uh, aware of the issue of violence against women as an offence and as a human rights breach, or is it still seen as a real normalised part of
4: family behaviour? What I can say here is, uh, as uh, an individual engaged in the frontline implementation of uh, services and delivery to uh, family sexual violence survivors in the communities is that there are increasing number of uh, women and children who are having to report cases now to the service uh, provision outlets, like reporting to the hospital, reporting to the police, to the welfare which means that there is increasing uh, number of actors now involved fighting against this. Awareness mm. is reaching the communities, women and children uh, able to recognize that violence is not acceptable, and so they are having to report mm. to where services are available. So what I can see is that there is progress. In this area, people are made aware. And there are also many actors now compared to before that we have uh, the non government organizations coming up to work with the government actors in this area, as well as there are community based organizations, faith based organizations. So there are at the moment many actors involving the fight against gender based violence <coughs> issues.
2: And do you think those different actors and those emerging actors are working in the same direction, or are you finding that people are coming at the issue from different perspectives, and if they are, is that helpful sometimes, or is it are they cutting across each other? I mean, is there a strong gender equality understanding in the 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 range of actors' approaches?
4: In fact, um, looking at BNG as a very um, a country with diverse culture, that also uh, give gives us that you know these issues are in itself so complex, mm-hmm. and so yeah, there may be cross-cutting um, uh, in terms of service provision, but we need we need all these ex um, actors to work together, and that's when the coordinate coordination mm. uh, is very important. Mm-hmm. The coordinating <laughs> body plays a very important role to ensure that uh, actors are playing the role that they 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 should play in terms of delivering services. Mm. Okay,
2: thank. You. And we might come back to that issue of coordination and the diversity in P and but just to get the, the complete picture, uh, I might I might ask um, Kimberly whether you can tell us about something of the journey that the private sector's made in PNG coming towards an understanding and uh, of violence against women and grappling with a response.
5: Absolutely. Um, well, my career um, in the private sector in PNG began in 2005, so I can speak to my experience um, over that period of time. But what I can say is that um, the difference in just... Um, in how private sector acknowledges and addresses these issues now to just a couple of years ago is massive. Yeah. And I think what's happened is, is that we didn't really have... Business always recognised you know, domestic violence and family and sexual violence and how it affects the female and male section of the workforce as a cost um, to enterprise. And um sorry, I just saw my friend Hi. <laughs> and um but, and but sort of to have these sort of isolated approaches, and it really depended on the, the very specific individual circumstances, how an organization or, or, or a particular situation was dealt with They didn't have the language or the tools um, for a corporate response, or the di- desire desires definitely there I mean I think um, anybody that runs um uh, a, an enterprise in PNG can see the, the cost to business in lots of different ways. Um, now, there's a lot more awareness and um, uh, acknowledgement um, with the language and tools that are available, and a desire, a distinct desire to be able to incorporate measures in a functional, practical way um, so that you can address those issues um, within the limitations of, of what a corporation can do, um, but in such a way that you will. In give the women, and it's mostly women who are um, affected by, by this problem in PNG, um, the tools to be able to um, develop uh, responses to their own situations at home, and equally men the tools to be able to um, lead change in their own homes and then eventually in the workplaces. Uh, so I think we're going, we're sort of at the precipice of something really mm-hmm. exciting um, and interesting. And this conversation is all part of that. And if you ask the same question in six months' time, you'll see even more yeah. growth um, and development. It's fascinating
2: to see how the private sector's engaged on this issue, uh, over particularly as you say, over the last couple of years. What changed? Do you know? Do you have any any vision about what what changed? Who was the, was there? A particular person, or the legislative framework, or. What was the catalyst for bringing the private sector along? Was there a leader in the
5: private sector that, that gave this change? That's an excellent question. I actually think that you are probably be better off answering that one. Mm-hmm. But from my perspective, because I was out of Binge the last couple of years, there was um, something that happened with this sorcery case with the Leniata. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just sort of created a huge outcry. Mm-hmm. And um, there was just a general sense of revulsion to say, we've just let things get so bad that this is normal. Um and it's completely unacceptable and we just we have to change this cannot happen again um, and so there was a real um, forum started discussion started to be created about this and they were small but they've had a ripple effect that's that sort of um, created a lot of um, um, platform for discussion mm-hmm. and I think one of the things about Melanesian society is the way that we sort of discuss and resolve issues uh, was really sort of very structured and ritual in a lot of yeah. ways and For better or for worse, in some instances, you know, women just didn't participate in that process at all. Um, As um, uh, we have increased population growth and urbanisation, those traditional ways of managing um, conflict or stress, or social Mm. stress, Mm. don't really aren't really functioning the way that they used to. But we didn't have really a a public conversation about how to uh, manage those issues together. Mm -hmm. Also because, yes, we became Papua New Guinea in 1975, but we were still a country very very provincially minded and very locally minded. And the sense of nationhood is one that's developing now is also a new thing, and that's partly because of urbanisation and a Mm -hmm. whole slew of children who are growing up in centres away from where their parents say they're from. They identify Mm -hmm. themselves as being from Port Moresby or from Malay um, and not from the places that parents originally came from. So all the social changes happening at this time, this is a very major issue, it's only one, but it's a very major issue, Um, and we need to create new forums and ways of being able to discuss those things, and you see that happening now. But that's only, from what I know, I think Dengue probably has a bit more. Look, I will ask you, but just to say, I think that in, in many
2: times in the past, this is absolutely true, that an issue bubbles up to the surface in a community, and the community discusses it, community sector gets engaged, government takes a lead, hopefully, and... Uh, the private sector continues to sit on its hands. But in this case, we've seen the private sector really stepping up and in PNG, but also I think we're seeing it internationally. So Australian companies are now having uh, domestic violence policies in ways that are really beginning to be progressive as well. So it's
5: just interesting that the way the private sector is seeing
2: itself as a player.
5: Well, to, to just to speak to that, um, I 100% agree with you. And we just came from, I don't know if you were there, but we just came from the the Australia, Excuse me, PNG Business Council meeting in Cairns. And I was, that was the first one that I went to, but I was really impressed because they um, gave the same amount of time um, and focus to economic issues and business development as they did to um, women's issues, essentially, um, and also youth and entrepreneurship, which I thought was mm-hmm. wonderful. Um, and so that basically front and centre said that the, one of the most important things that we need to start thinking about in doing business in PNG for Australian and PNG and um, companies is this really critical social issue and one stage in Um, the sessions, I think it was close to the final sessions, so all the men were called upon to stand up, well, actually everybody, to help men to take ownership of this issue and everybody stood up and it was just a really powerful moment Mm -hmm. and if you had asked me two days before the event if this was something that I would have perceived happening um, where you have all the heads of industry gathered, not really, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah, there is a a palpable feeling of change. People are inspirational, and I saw people Mm. there who I've known for a long time just standing up, very sort of emotional, taking ownership of the issue, leaders in business, and I think that's amazing.
2: (coughs) Daniel, from your perspective, I mean, it seems to... It feels to me like we're at uh, a bit of a, a turning point in the way violence is being dealt with and addressed, and as you say, there's a lot more and various actors coming into the space. Now, do you see, do you know, that there has been that level of change? And if so, how, what do you see as being the catalyst for it? How did it build up that head of steam till it got to the time when we could see change happen?
4: Well, like my uh, friend said, I was really impressed uh, during the PNG, Australia Business Forum, when the Business Coalition for Women uh, presented... It was really a way forward that the private sector would engage in this. And we never had this in the, maybe if you ask me, uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. So this is a way forward, and in lay specifically where I'm working, we are uh, engaging, extending our partnership with the business houses, and I see their openness, and they're, they're welcoming the idea to... Uh, When we write letters to them that we want to raise an awareness, they're organizing their staff for this. And this is a way forward because most of our women have uh, either they come leave their job and come and seek the service that they need or they're caught in between either to keep the job or to seek the service that they need. And a lot of times... Uh, Working-class women don't have the opportunity to access service because they need to keep the job to take care of themselves and their children and to have uh, private sectors to, you know, have this engagement and to extend their partnership and their support in this work. And there are also companies that are also having family sexual violence policies in place for their employees, and this is really a way forward for us to, you know, make the change in our know, country.
0: Mm.
2: Can I can I uh, um, ask the coordination issue that you raised, Dinger? Do you see that uh, at least in the cities that you're seeing the various actors working together in a coordinated fashion? Is or, or where are the dropout zones? Where are we needing? Um, and Anna, you might have an opinion about that too. Where Where do we need to strengthen our partnerships and coordination?
0: Okay.
3: Yeah. Thank you. I think. Um... That's a question everybody likes to ask government, mm-hmm. and and um, so I'll answer that. Um, I'd agree, I'll agree with the two uh, women here, because in the last three years, we've seen a lot of changes. A lot of changes have happened in terms of um, reforms in in sectoral approaches, really, in how we can work together to, to move forward. And we've done a number of things, and... Um, one of the things we've recognized in the department is, is how do we coordinate better? The government focus is on gender-based addressing gender-based violence, but not just gender-based violence. We also want to um, focus on women economic empowerment mm-hmm. as an approach to addressing gender-based violence. We also want to focus on. Women in leadership, getting more women into parliament, getting more women into leadership roles. So they speak, they speak, mm-hmm. and, and they, they raise you know their voices on our behalf. Uh, we also want to see that um, um, there's more girls going to school, and we've seen that with the free education. A lot of our girl children are going to school, but NRI is doing a study at the moment, and we see that the issue is not about the increase now. A lot more girls are going in. It's about retaining them. You know, in in school, and that that there's a number of factors um, contributing to that. But we also have women and health, mm-hmm. and so the, all those different areas. How do we better coordinate and know who is working on what in Papua New Guinea? Mm-hmm. And so we have a gender forum, which is headed by our minister and the head of UN. And in that forum, it's focused on. Um, It takes its cue from our women and gender equality policy Mm -hmm. and on the focus area. So we have a technical working group on GBV, technical working group on women in leadership, and also women economic empowerment. Now, that is where we have all the partners coming in and reporting on what they are doing um, in that space. If they are about GBV, what what exactly are they doing? How are they implementing the government policies and the laws that... (laughs) we have. Mm. Um, and if they're in the private sector, they're also invited to that table. And um, yes, we've seen a lot of partnership in that area. I think the private-public um, partnership policy gave a lot of teeth and strength to mm-hmm. pulling all our partners, um, private sector partners, to come in mm. and work with us on that. Yeah, But that's the forum where I have seen personally that I I now know what everybody else is doing, yes. and I can see who who is a good partner and a strong partner that government can rely on to help implement in in this area. Who is a strong partner in the area of providing you know care for women or children or referral systems and so forth. Mm-hmm. So. it's
2: absolutely isn't it it's absolutely multidimensional yes. in the sense that you've got all of government you've got government community That's sector right. private sector That's and you've right. got across a range of sectors That's it's right. it's a really tough role for an organization for a national any national women's machinery to have uh, that kind of multidimensional coordination role and That's so right. recognizing how difficult it is do you, what, what do you think are the strengths of, of that coordination now and where do you think needs still further work
3: well, I see that the strength is we don't just leave it as technical working groups and and forums. We have to think higher. Mm-hmm. How can we empower that more through a law? You know, where they are recognised, their their functions and their roles are defined mm-hmm. properly. Their call to meetings are not just on ad hoc basis, but because the law states it. And um, I'll just give you an example. Just seeing the journey. F- uh, uh, what women our, our journey has been. We've looked at our, our child protection laws, and we looked at the Local Team Pekinini Act because that's a big area of concern mm-hmm. um, for us. And I wear the hat where I have all these individual family groups that come under mm-hmm. my department, so I can, you know, see what works best in this area and try to utilize mm-hmm. um, in these other areas. So with with the Children's Law, we have. Um, called for the National Council through law. And the council is represented by my department, the police, the law enforcement agencies, health, education. So you can see all those actors. Um, also from the um, NGOs and churches. <clears throat> we always make sure that churches are there because they reach places where we have not reached many of us. And so we make sure they are part of that conversation.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I see that that is the best um, approach to having a stronger, coordinated um, point for for um, to coordinate all these different activities mm-hmm. um, that are taking
2: place. Mm, it's a massive job, and I think how do you how do you see that coordination happening? Standing outside of government, are you feeling the benefits of it, or are there partners involved or government agencies involved that are letting the side down, if you like, that don't get the gender equality implications? What needs to be strengthened, do you think?
4: Well, as a uh, front uh, line implementer, I think pretty difficult for me to answer while mm-hmm. the secretary is <laughs> <okay. Go> on, <laughs> on. while the secretary is sitting just next to me. <laughs> yeah, but I mean we're just beginning to address these issues in the recent years and uh, like our Secretary said, there's a forum in place and we're hoping to support this as partners, uh, implementing partners on the ground to work with them to help ensure that this is coordinated well in, uh, in the way we address this mm-hmm. issue.
2: Are you engaged? Are you, do you find that you're engaged in the conversation?
4: Uh, not directly at the moment with the secretary and her department, but at the implementing stage, Family PNG is, um, is very much supporting the coordination of services basically in the, in the centre that I'm working with. And, and so.
2: Who, who do you engage with? The health system, police, and justice systems? What, what's the range of actors in,
4: around family? Well, Family PNG basically work uh, directly with a lot of partners and actors in those who are directly delivering service, and that involves uh, the hospital, family support center, and uh, the police. And we work with a range of uh, police units, like the Family Sexual Violence Unit of the police, for uh, family violence cases, and also for family sexual violence cases, the sexual offense squad of the police unit for those uh, criminal cases, also the criminal uh, department of the police. We also work with the uh, district court, Mm -hmm. and also the national court for cases that get uh, prosecuted and through the national court. So, yeah, we work with all the wide range of stakeholders there who are actually delivering service to uh, survivors of gender-based violence. And we also coordinate meetings where we call all the stakeholders to come together. At this, I'm speaking at the provincial level Mm -hmm. in the province that I work in. So all the We have quarterly meetings where the stakeholders come together and we um, identify issues and we also have uh, discussions around recommendations on how to work with those issues that um, are identified, Mm -hmm. the service providers on the ground. So we very much kind of coordinate the services that are delivered to uh, stakeholders, I mean the survivors. But recently we have the Family Sexual Violence um, uh, Action Committee and the FSVAC Secretariat that has been rolled out and we are very much giving that coordinating role to the government okay. and also trying to support them to function in that area. Excellent. So you've got your, your, your
2: coordination role, government's coordination role, and hopefully we're growing an, an organic uh, approach to proper mm-hmm. coordination. and. And from your point of view, Kimberly, I know you're only back recently, but uh, what's your perspective so far on the level of coordination between sectors and uh, and dimensions of society and also on business coordination and coalitions? <coughs>
5: Excuse me. Um, essentially, in every aspect of the work that we do at the foundation, which is principally in health, um, leadership and education, women's protection and empowerment... Um, uh, we take our lead from the national government in partnership mm. with the national government and uh, our cue in the development of our policies and approaches in all of those things. Um, and also, then, with the provincial governments in the provinces in which we work. So, um, I also acknowledge that there's been a huge amount of um, growth and development in the national government's responses, especially with the GESI, I guess you call it policy. I've only read it, so I've Um, which I think is excellent, and um, that's the sort of documentation um, that we take our cue from um, when we're developing our approach. Um, For us, partnership is just as important as coordination, Mm -hmm. and um, with the development of our Women's Protection um, uh, Program, we really see ourselves as positioning ourselves as a leader um, in terms of the private sector response and working very closely with our private sector partners Again, it's early days because a lot of people are trying to, um, a lot of organisations are trying to um, use a best practice approach, which is really, really refreshing to see, um, to, to this. And so there's a lot of discussion going on at the moment. Um, we're a little bit ahead, but there, there are a lot of people, a lot of other organisations that are, are following us closely behind. Uh-huh. Our approach is essentially, um, we sort of have four streams that we look at when um, in in our Women's Protection Programme. The first is the policy side, and that's where we look at international best practice and then what's the national government doing and how can we work with them in developing our policies and standards internally first to um, so making sure that we streamline policies and approaches and then make sure that we bring that awareness of those things across the board to all of the staff, whether it's a global or, I should say, across-the-company gender-sensitisation sensitization program or developing hubs with information with all of our sites, um, those sorts of activities. The second stream of approach is developing um, tools and access to knowledge. Um, And that can be, and that's where a partnership and partnership, hopefully, with organisations like Family PNG really come into play. So, equipping the staff that we have um, with the tools to be able to to acknowledge or to see the issues that they're facing and um, how can they address those, how can we help them to address them. Um, through partnerships with people like, um, all the names escaping me now, but uh, Warrior, um, what's that Warrior program? Warrior, Warrior culture. 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 Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so the idea, principally, is that we at Oil Search, but also our other um, compatriots in business, have um, this captive audience with our workforce—a yes. highly educated. Um, group of Papua New Guinean men and women and probably mostly men in your most senior positions who um, we can access them to give them a lot of training and information about um, this issue and hopefully they will take those messages home and be able to influence and they will have a great deal of influence just by nature of our society where one person who works takes care of a lot of people and to take that information home and create... um, uh, forms for change in the very local places where they where they live and work. And if we can do that, then ideally, eventually that feeds back into the business. We have a much more secure and safe environment. Something that, that the legislation has brought us is the requirement that um, the companies are uh, to create safe workplaces for their employees. Mm-hmm. And that extends to doing as much as we can to um, ensure that um, gender-based violence... Um, it's reduced and hopefully eliminated, so that women feel safer in the workplace, and also that the, whatever whether they bring the, the sense of safety, whether this, the danger to that safety is occurring in the workplace or, or elsewhere.
2: There's so many leads in that bit of conversation that I'd like to pursue. But um, before we do, I might see if there's any burning questions uh, out there. And yeah, James, do we need a, do we need a microphone? Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry, sprung at the uh, While we're waiting for the microphone. And could, could you quickly explain what the JESSE policy is?
3: Okay, with, with the Jessie policy, that's the Gender uh, Equality and Social Inclusion policy um, in the public sector. One of the biggest big calls for government is to ensure that we mainstream. We mainstream where relevant sectors are taking care of the women in their sector, and. Um, the, an example of this is the G- JESSE policy. Um, the Department of Personal Management in Papua New Guinea is the, the driver of that policy. And they they are in charge of women in the public sector. So all things surrounding gender equality, our laws and policies on GBV, they address there mm-hmm. through women in the public sector. So one of the things, um, uh, one of the ways in which they made sure we had those positions In our structure, Mm
4: -hmm.
3: in my structure, where I had I had to have a a officer focused on women in the public sector, and and so when I send my structure, organisational review and structure to the secretary who is a male, and I call him a male advocate for for women, um, when he approved before he even approved it, he had to make sure that those positions that he called for that needed to be in every public office um had to be on the structure so he he didn't approve and send back just like he did to other government agencies so we had to redo our structure and ensure mm-hmm. that we had those relevant positions on and send it back for his approval so we are talking mainstreaming we are also mm-hmm. talking institutionalizing it yeah.
2: and proper resourcing
3: exactly mm-hmm. and proper resourcing so so that's the same call we are doing to every other sector. We've got the private sector working strongly on, on their side as well. And I think um, um, if we continue this well, that's a big step forward Absolutely. for PNG. Yeah. And I think our, our
2: work will become easier. Exactly. Uh, so, James.
1: Thanks. Um, I wanted to ask about the churches. Um Last month, uh, the seven mainstream churches launched this theology of gender document, which they're very proud of. Mm-hmm. But I guess I wanted to ask the panel whether they thought that, in general, the churches were playing a constructive role in this area, or could they do better, or or, uh, or how that was going?
3: Okay, yeah. Um, thank you for your question. I think um, for Papua New Guinea, we recognise that. Um, before any government was set, we had the churches there in Papua New Guinea. And we are very um we're a, we call ourselves a big uh, Christian country. And and we recognize that churches are there in the communities and villages and the most rural areas where we have not reached. It's for this reason that a lot of funding I mean I commend the Australian government for their for starting the funding with the seven mainline churches. And and because of that, it pulled the, the government in. So we also co-fund a lot of our churches that are providing health and education that have church-run schools and hospitals as well. And and we recognize that. So a lot of funding has been given to churches over the last three years. I, I'm sure you, you would agree with me on that. And um, what what... Other roles that I, from the department, can see them also go into is um, the big focus on early childhood learning. You know, there's a lot of reactive approaches we are taking, but we need to be a bit focused more on proactiveness. And um, a lot of our young boys, school boys, um, and because church has played a big role in our lives, we need to start teaching respect and no violence as a moral. Practice. We all, that should play a big role, you know, if the churches focus on that. Excellent. I was also saying, you know, if the churches, some of, many of them are already addressing gender based violence. Many of them are addressing law and order issues, conflict resolution, safe homes. And, and that's the recognition I want them to, to, call out for from government and from donor partners that are coming into the country. Mm. And um, because of that re- recognition, my office had a number of vacant positions that have, have, have dissolved, I mean removed and um, put positions for uh, church state partnership. Uh, positions such as uh, a donor coordinator, a donor government fund coordinator, uh, a database officer <coughs> to maintain all the the Registry of Churches and their NGOs and the kind of services they provide. We have the Anglicare there who do a really good work in HIV AIDS. We also have the Catholic Church there who have uh, Kalan Services, that's Services for the Disabled People, and that's in the 22 provinces. So we have churches doing fantastic out there. Mm. Uh, We just need to, again, that coordinating uh, point and sustainability so that any new government that comes into place, if it's just a project hanging on the side, you know, you can be forgotten. So the focus on making sure that it's, it's institutionalised and within a
2: government yeah. structure. Can I just ask your perspective, perspective on that, Dengar? That uh, sometimes churches play a more or less helpful role in relation to addressing violence against women depending on their understanding comprehension of gender equality issues. How do you see the churches that you're dealing with uh, engaging on that?
4: Well, churches are a partner in implementing, and we work directly with uh, churches. And uh, like from my perspective, like the secretary said, churches are in very remote places in PNG where you cannot find even government services. And so to get these uh, services on gender-based violence issues right, right to the villages, of uh, the remote villages of Papua New Guinea. Partnership with church is very important. Mm. They're already there.
2: Yeah. And are they, do they listen to you in discussing the, the approach to gender equality? Are they moving from very traditional approaches to more progressive ones?
4: They do. We are working directly, and uh, it's a fantastic job that the church is doing at the moment. So, yeah. Okay, thank you. We might have one more question before we go back to the conversation.
0: Lisa Martin from Australian Associated Press. Uh, Secretary Solomon, I, I was curious what impact do you think um, the issue of gender-based violence will have on the Papua New Guinea election uh, next year? And uh, do the, does the government have a time frame on when it expects to have safe houses built in, in all provinces, not just um, the major centres? <coughs>
3: Thank you um, for your question. Um, yeah, with the elections coming up, um, electoral commission has also its gender uh, policy, and um, they recognise that in certain areas of Papua New Guinea, it's difficult for women as well to to vote. I mean, just to get to to vote, and so they've they've worked on um, not only at that level where they're trying to address. Uh, women having, you know, an opportunity to vote, but also our disabled community, they've included that as well. Um, And they've got a lot of women uh, working at the poll uh, boards as well, which was not there before. And so hopefully that will um, help uh, with a lot of women um, getting that opportunity to vote. Um, That's on the side of voting, but on the side of... um, Having women um, candidates, Um, they've worked closely with us on, um, um, especially the local-level government election. At the national level, we had three women. At the local-level government, we had 45 women. And the strategy we used um, with assistance from um, uh, DFAT and also UNDP is really getting the women candidates to understand the role of being a member of the assembly, mm. what 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 is your role? Even if you plan to stand, what what if how much money are you going in with to the election? If it's five thousand, where are you gonna focus it on? Is it going to be on your campaign posters, or is it going to be on the everybody in your community that's that's part of your campaign, um, um you know, group, or where do you for on the transportation because you're going right into the a group that wanted to stand, and you had some that decided that they're not ready for that yet, Mm -hmm. or that's not their place. And so that strategy, we'd like to do a national uh, strategy Mm -hmm. um, to get more women into um, the national level. Um, Your other question on safe houses. Um, With safe houses, when it comes to government, we are putting pressure on members of parliament, governors and members. Um, We have a District Development Authority now, where all the funds are going directly to the district. Mm. It's no longer at the national level. So how do we tap into that? How do we get decisions at the national level where NEC is giving direction um, for um, safe homes or for, you know... Because And what I'm happy to also announce here is we had the five priority areas of law and order infrastructure, health education and And so forth, so most of the funding has had to be around there. um They've now included community development Excellent. which covers all the other it, its covers all the other important areas that you and I are passionate about mm-hmm. and so that's that's where we're pushing many of these agendas so where you see safe houses um maybe the 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 leader is committed. Mm. The, the leader is committed. And yeah. of
2: course, Australia is helping to fund a couple more. In, and, in
3: yes, I need current. to um sorry acknowledge uh, DFAT here while I'm <laughs> here. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Um, in fact, you have really made that start for us um, with Safe Houses. Um, there's a number of them around the, the country. Largest is in Manus. Seven, mm-hmm. We have seven or eight. And um, I, I paid a visit there and had a look at... um the the safe home itself and it's even way better than many of the homes you know mm-hmm. in the in the villages and the settlements too so I thought oh no we're gonna want to stay here for a lot longer <laughs> than
2: And <laughs> we're but looking at Buka now and yes as well, yeah
3: we have Buka and Goroka so we have um, mm-hmm. a number of safe houses there what we need in PNG is really professional counselling mm-hmm. I have welfare offices. Um, we are we are counselling um, as social workers, as mothers, as fathers, but the professional counselling that is really needed for traumatised um, individuals mm. is lacking. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, look and, at, and this is another layer of complexity, isn't it? Is the ex- education system exactly. and delivering the skills that yes. you need? How yes. are you going with that?
3: We, we, and and so when we when we raise these issues, we are looking at a whole lot of sectors taking ownership of their own, you know. And so you have the university there. We raise these issues so they can look at the curriculum, what can they improve in there that can address um, those they're sending out from the universities um, so that they're able to work in organizations such as ours and address some of these issues. I'm happy that UPNG now has um, gender um, studies as one of its electives Mm -hmm. at the university, so that's a big plus um, for the country, yeah. um, there's still, but we recognise that there's still more that we need to do, but those are some of those areas that um, um, have shown that we are moving.
2: Thank you. Yeah. And Dengid, do you have difficulty finding people with the right skills to work in your organisation? Is that, st- is that still a real break on the, on the potential for addressing violence effectively?
4: Yes, there are a lot of uh, uh, gaps in the skills that uh, professionals need to have in order to address uh, uh, family sexual violence issues in the country. Like the Secretary said, that our education uh, system needs to also address and improve its curriculum in order to ensure that people are trained and have the skills that they need and the knowledge to uh, provide the services that people need. So, I mean, for me, I've, I think we've talked about a lot of the complexities and the different
2: dimensions that uh, are involved in addressing violence effectively, and some of them are common across all countries. And, you know, Australia certainly hasn't hasn't cracked the, the complete picture, particularly in terms of coordination across different levels of government. But um, uh, PNG's got added complexities, and one of those is the, the ethnic diversity in the remoteness. And... Um, I wonder if you can think, tell me what your ideas might be for the future. How could, should PNG approach the response to violence differently to other countries to respond to the diversity and the, the remoteness of some of the communities in PNG? How can you ensure that we can get services out to everybody?
3: Yeah, I think
2: uh, from, <clears throat> from the government angle, um,
3: it's firstly recognising the churches that are there mm-hmm. because... Besides the family, um, that's the second uh, group they run to for safety. And so strongly recognizing the churches is a big step forward. Um, Another is when we have partners coming into country, it's not one-size-fits-all kind of help. Uh, We have to recognize and understand that many of us women families we come from a village in that village we all have our different standing in society as women i know mine she would know hers. um if you go talking very feminist they totally push you away some of the awareness that we do like now um when you go home and talk about it you must know that if it comes from you as a woman would it be accepted by the villages of the community. Yeah. Should you start it in your home and educate your husband or do that awareness around your sons and your husband so they do the talking for you to the rest of the community? Would that have a lot more impact than you as a woman? So just knowing that and having that balance is a really big step forward um, for us as women. And if we can do that um, right, we'll be okay. Mm-hmm. sometimes we we take it take the wrong approach, and it pushes us right back and we have to work another how many years to just get it right again yeah yeah so just knowing our place and where we come from in the villages we represent is a big step forward. I, I know my own story and where I come from and where I am in in my my village, and um how they um, slowly recognize and accepting that I'm not just a woman. I'm a professional too, and I'm a leader in my own right. Mm-hmm. So that's slowly and and slowly being appreciated, and it makes me happy that I didn't um, push it, you know, the way that I was taught. At
2: the global level and at the national level. Yeah, yeah. So, approaching it in a Melanesian way, it works in the context of the the social cohesion. That's That's a really important point. And um, Kimberly, what what do you reckon? How do you either you personally see the issue of diversity and remoteness, or how does oil search engage with it in the private sector?
5: Um, Well, I think it's first of all we recognise that a lot of innovative. And, and um, successful approaches and learnings that we, that, are, that are currently being developed in PNG and family PNG is an excellent example um, of, of that. And it is definitely true to say that different locations and specificities will require different yep. approaches, probably yep. truer for PNG than almost anywhere else yeah. on the planet. Yeah. Um, and that's what makes it interesting but also incredibly challenging. Having said that, there are a lot of commonalities, and I think focusing Mm -hmm. on those probably makes things easier. But in relation to the different approaches, I was just having a conversation this morning with a colleague from DFAT about this, and was saying, um, for example, just if you use the family PNG model, it's not that one model is so successful here that we should apply it there, but rather than that, we should really focus on this coordination and discussion aspect. How did you do it? Let's go back and see how we can do it because there will be <coughs> learnings to be made that can make an approach more efficient and reduce the need to um, reduce the um, possibility of um, making mistakes as, as you go along the way. the need to reinvent the wheel necessarily, but those common factors that I will just sort of <coughs> reference. Over firstly, that um, you know men maintain a very strong voice in leadership. So focusing on um, what can we do with men, having men identify. Um, their issues and the ways that they can take control of this issue and um, mentor other men and boys um, in their families and um, workplaces to think um, differently when it comes to um, the issue of GBV and and family and sexual violence. Um, Also supporting survivors' access to services and Mr Secretary, I was just saying, um, uh, you know, in the private sector, we have the resources to be able to afford counselling services for our um, community of people, and I think that's a wonderful thing. How can we then extend beyond that to provide those services and um, develop um, nationals that can um, be counsellors um, for, for the survivors of, of, of violence? And then also, um, I think the third thing is that a commonality is being able to work with partners, Um, that's going to be absolutely critical for two areas. One of those is case management and also awareness um, on on one side. Um, In a company like Oil Search, we'll have the resources but not the expertise in lots of different things in um, business operations, and one of those will be how do you address issues around um, GBV in in the workplace and beyond. Um, And then the other and final one, which is a really big area of focus for us, is empowering women and girls. And I think, Anna, you raised that point before. That's absolutely Mm -hmm. what we would focus on is a very critical aspect, education, 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 especially literacy and financial literacy. Um, And there are things that you can do quite quickly um, to start alleviating some of those pressures and giving women um, tools to be able to make choices in their lives and to have security. Um, And those are the sort of responses that we're sort of taking as a two-tiered approach. What can we do now? What can we do to ensure that there's a long-term sustainable approach? Okay,
2: that's really, really useful. There's some things that need to be Location-based, the there's commonalities, and we need to think about them in their context each time. That's really useful. And just before I ask Denga the, the same question, could I ask you about the male employees and the approach that Oil Search is taking? Uh, how do you respond to male employees if you if you come to <laughs> un, come to know that they're a perpetrator of violence, even outside of work? Is that something that you are participating in, or are you seeing that as beyond your grief?
5: Um, no, absolutely not. I mean, I hire men, so mm-hmm. I work with men and I answer to men. So I don't think it's beyond my brief at all. Um, the, the company itself, and when I was talking before about the policy approach and making sure that um, we align internal policies for both the company and the foundation towards best international practice, um, has policies which take these kind of matters quite seriously. Mm-hmm. We have a code of conduct, um, breaches of which can result in very severe consequences, including dismissal. And also a um, a policy of diversity and inclusion, Um, and also our um, safety and health uh, and awareness policy, Um, safety, health and environmental awareness policy Mm. um, has gender aspects to it. So those are only three of, I think, five which specifically address um, gender um, equality and inclusion. Um, and breaches of the, all, all or any of those um, have uh, can result in consequences, and it's the HR function of the business that manages um, those sort of separate and instances. male
2: perpetrators, even outside of their employment? It, um, that's a very good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have to cite that's, specific that's examples. That's, a, that's, a, uh, that's a, a, a kind of an area that's still under conversation, I think. Anything but, that impacts um, the business. Okay. And, and have you got... Do you find you've the got
5: the HR specialist skills that you need to... To, to manage this sensitively? Um, that's probably an area of the business that we would need to look at, but I wouldn't be able to answer that question okay. straight off No that. problem. And, and, Denga, can you tell us what you think are the, uh, the issues about
2: specific diversity of PNG and if Family was going to be uh, opening new centres elsewhere? How, how do you reckon you'd need to change the approach, if at all,
4: to take account of the cultural differences? Um, the approach that we are currently, you know, implementing is working. The model is working, and I guess sharing that will be a way forward also yeah. for a lot of provinces. And yeah, okay.
2: I might uh, see if there's some some more questions. There's clearly a lot of people. I'll leave it up to I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> yeah, you can make the <laughs> well, decision. This is a, a fascinating discussion. I have just two. Questions slash comments.
0: The first one's on the perpetrator. That's a really hard one. And before mm-hmm. Kimberly and Around, I was quite involved in looking at what's just policy on That's this. That's right, absolutely. And at first, it was, if you are a perpetrator of violence, we don't want you in the company, you know, you're fired. Yeah. And then we started thinking, well, what does that mean for the families and the women? And all of a sudden, you know, mm-hmm. it might be something dreadful to. His wife who comes to work he's fired and then he doesn't have an income and he's really angry and
2: And he's so a part of the employment contract, is it? Like, yeah.
0: And so how do you then kind of are you better off than having a culture that zero tolerance but then working, you know, with perpetrators to see that that's wrong and mm-hmm. helping the family to access services, etc. So that's still something that is under, under uh, discussion. So the advice on that, we would very much appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> the second one, Secretary, you, you really struck a chord with me when you noted um, you decided not to take advice from all the international organisations and follow your own advice as a woman of Papua New Guinea. And if I ever do a PhD, it's going to be entitled The Unintended Consequences of Aid and how we've stepped it up giving advice in many different areas. And I think this is one of them that... It, for, and, and where I got really excited for Papua New Guinea was when you really saw the shift between um, violence against women being a donor-pushed agenda, and it became a Papua New Guinean one. Mm-hmm. And that's where I thought, yep, yeah, this is going to change, and you now see that in space. That was the turning point for me. But um, I guess, you know, do you feel more and more that um, Papua New Guineans now have the confidence to sit down and say to donors, that is just wrong, you need to listen to us, we have it wrong, you know, that policy is not right, are you, are you feeling that, you know, you have the voice to be able to do that? Because I think particularly with the safe house issue, I mean, you know, we went the the hardware as well coming in and saying, yes, you need a safe oh, house, yeah. here it is, and it lasted five minutes because we didn't, you know, discuss with the community how that needed to be developed. And I think our second time around, we're really thinking about it and asking the community what do you need and how do we support this. But I think there's a lot of lessons that you can give you know, to Daners mm-hmm. and how we can Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat>
1: You affirm- yes,
2: please, have you got that sense of ownership over this issue as far well the national
3: government yeah, I think um we've got a lot of help from donor already in terms of you know having those initials pol- initial policies and laws, and they've you know you have really thought us well now we need to see what is the best practice that we need to keep or what do we need to maintain, and what are some of those new things, especially where, where you will not fully realize at the village level, the, the province and the village level, that we need to accommodate and make it part of policies and laws. And I think that's where we are coming out stronger. Mm-hmm. And we are coming out stronger and saying, no, let's, let's leave this first. Let, I think let's focus on this and let's see how it works. Yeah. And, and I think um, that will really help Papua New Guinea. That will really help Papua New Guinea. Um, Papua New Guineans, um, before don't talk too much. We we accept a lot. Mm. Yeah, we accept um, how churches came and taught us. We accept, you know how. Uh, um, correct my. I mean my apology if you feel offended, but how white people we say came and spoke. We don't. We don't. Um, we accept. Mm. Like we we feel. Um, embarrassed, or we feel we don't feel confident to raise our voices and talk back. That was us then, but now we feel like um, I mean, you can blame yourselves for really empowering us to, yeah. to to speak, you know, louder. And I think we are at we are, you know, in that time now. And so, um, like, I, I, Susan Ferguson, who is the advisor, we work so well together, and we have the. Pacific Women Shaping Pacific Program which Family PNG is a, a product of that as well mm-hmm. and um, yeah we we talk honestly like like I tell her you need to be honest with me, I need to be honest you can see it from my face when I'm happy <laughs> like like a pup, many Papua New Guineans might not look at you straight in the eye yeah, yeah. and you might see it as disrespect for them they see it as respect you know that they don't look straight into your eyes and Speak to you, but you gotta to listen to what they want to say. That's very, very important. And I think um, we are at that in that era now, and that's why we are moving a lot of the things um, that we want to do. We just need to get a lot of, um, still a lot of that that government commitment and our, our partners' commitment at the provincial and district level, and we work together on this. Because I mean, just imagine. When you when our pe- grandparents then will not believe that girls now played rugby, mm-hmm. in the in the Pacific Games, they won't because that's not a game that we girls play. Mm-hmm. So to have girls play rugby, is is something you know, and then to have an all girls uh, female crew fly the plane, that is unbelievable yeah. you know, for Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. but you have to. Get them to appreciate that 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 information. You must get them to appreciate it. Otherwise, they see it as us wanting
2: to become men. Mm-hmm. You know. I absolutely agree with you, particularly in the in the gender space. It's yeah. absolutely important that we follow the lead of Papua New Guinea women yeah. because it uh, the violence is so often a backlash against yeah. pushing too hard in one direction. That's We've right. got to be very careful to That's make sure right. that we're pushing in the right direction at the right time and using the right levers in the right way. So that's an absolutely important lesson. Thank you.
3: Um, My question goes to the um, Secretary Solomon. Um, The first one is, um, how uh, how involved and responsive are members of parliament on the issue of gender-based violence? Um, For example... um, how um, what sort of budgetary allocations do they do in their um, provincial projects and what sort of implementation strategies do they have? And the second question is: It is true that churches, institutions such as the churches and Family PPG, and the private sector are being involved on its side. Um, but my question is: What is your opinion on community-driven action, and is there any room for um, that sort of action? Um, in the national framework. Thank you. OK, um, thank you um, for your question. Your are PNG, right? Yeah. Um, well, I'll answer your second question first on community-driven uh, driven pro- programs. And um, our Department of National Planning um, in, in Papua New Guinea has worked really hard um, and, and we have tried to, not only the Department of National Planning, also in my department, we tried to see how we can recognize partners, recognize partners properly through laws and policies and the good projects that are already running. And um, National Planning has also just launched their National Development Cooperation policy, which, which clearly... Um, Talks about our partnership with all our partners, and where how we should head in PNG, and so with that, that that gives us a lot of strength in in our exit strategies. Some of these pro, uh, programs are good, and then it's given to the communities try to drive it, but then there's no government recognition there because they're not aware of that program, they're not aware of that that. Uh, a good, good uh, project that's running there, because we maybe had partners that came and didn't speak with government or tell us what they were trying to do, and went directly to the district or the province, and so you get that issue where governments change and then probably the former head knew about this project and was supportive, but the new governor comes in and is not supportive of that you know pro pro program because he was not aware so just Continuously having to include government um, at all levels and continuously including them. where I was just sharing with Family PNG on some of the things um, we can do together so that you are continuously recognized. I'd like to share some of these good programs and uh, stories in the parliament. I'd like to get my minister to share that a good um, program is there in Wabeg and run by so-and-so, because I, I'm, I'll see all the members there, you know, trying to, they have funds. I want that. Can you come and do it in my village? I'd like that too. Come and do it in my village. But when we are not working together and when you leave, then that's not sustained. Mm-hmm. So that's where we really need that approach. Another example for community development project, this is from the other side again, is we had Chaika, for example, and I know that many partners who come want to help us at the national level with reviews and reviews of policies and legislations, but I think we've, we've gotten smarter now with working on those things, so where else can we drive the funding now? So with JICA, we said, okay, can you send us some your technical people on just how to make a well, water well? You know, simple things. Mm -hmm. So they sent some of the experts. We took them all the way to the village. They saw that we had done our TNA, um, our our feasibility study. Mm -hmm. So there was nine villages there without water. But they have to walk how many miles just to fetch water. Mm -hmm. So JICA was there training all the young boys in the village. This is about community participation. Mm -hmm. Young boys in the village they themselves did the land survey, they dug the ground, they mixed the brick, they dug the drain all the way to the water river, and at the end of it all, they had nine water taps running. Now, there was not... People are getting used to being paid before they do something that the community needs. There was none of that, because it was an area where they really needed water in the village. So those are some, you know... Community development pro, pro, projects that communities themselves took ownership. And I keep telling others if you need experts to do your water well, don't look far. Just these nine villages here that have experts now. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been trained. JICA gave them um, certificates so they can come and do yours. So I just thought I should share yes, that yes, example. It's a good story. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Sorry, your members of parliament, you also asked. Um, you know, it's very challenging sometimes um, when when you have—you need to—you must—there are different levels of uh, people that get elected, you know, and you need to get them to understand that we've signed CEDAW, we have to comply, you know, how do we domesticate our laws and our legislations? How do you, as a leader, influence that at your um, community level? But lately the response has been good, and why it's been good is because we are giving the direction through um, the policies that you submit for the endorsement. You get some little clauses in there where NEC members are directed to do so-and-so from their district authority funds, uh, make a 5% or 10% to women, so that's, that's the way um, we are pushing it at the national level. But again, the the ownership is still with the
2: province and the mm. districts. Mm. Thanks, thanks, Secretary. So, I know time is running short, and I do want to ask if all of our speakers for what your last one idea or innovation is, or what's the last, you know, the biggest gap that's that's facing the response to violence in PNG at present. But I think already we've we've traversed a lot of ground, and I mean, I'm hearing the um, the complexity of responding to violence is in many cases similar around the world but PNG, of course, has extra dimensions and extra complexities and I think we've heard a lot of innovative ideas here today So, uh, and and the fact that PNG is coming somewhat late to the response to violence means that you can take account of best practice uh, internationally. So particularly engaging men and supporting men, particularly engaging the private sector, I think that's, you know, the way best practice is happening now. The coordination uh, issue and the way, the systems you've got in place at government level and community level to uh, promote coordination and make sure that there's no wrong entry point for women. I think these are some of the best uh, practice issues internationally and the the recognition of the need for people to come uh, at this in a coordinated fashion, but also recognising that diversity of PNG is absolutely important. And uh, the particular approaches to gender issues in PNG, I think, is absolutely important uh, piece for me, and what I've I've learnt today is is that you're really grappling with that and advancing gender equality, knowing the the context, knowing how far how far you can push in one sense, mm-hmm. and when you need to step back and try another another line, uh, and of course engaging with churches who are amongst the front lines, uh, um, as you say, family first, then churches, then government. So in many remote parts of PNG, I think that's absolutely important to build on. Uh, and recognise. So I, I think we've already heard a lot... And, oh, sorry, and the issue of partnership um, is absolutely, I think, another issue that PNG is, I'm hearing, is working on well. So for me, I've heard a lot of innovations, but I might just ask you, Kimberly to start and tell us what you think is the next frontier or, you know, the biggest innovation that we need to do.
5: <coughs> the public's private sector perspective, <coughs> um, that's a really huge question, so thank you for that. Um, I think essentially it is for us. It's a, it's focusing on partnership, where I mean I think all people who are business people in PNG will be the first to acknowledge that they're not social um, experts or um, and won't have necessarily the tools in house to develop a, a, a specific or accurate response to quite massive social issues, and which this is a front runner. In them. So for us, it's definitely developing partnerships and the right kinds of partnerships. Mm-hmm. Um, for us specifically, the Women's Protection Empowerment Programme, essentially we're focused on ensuring that we um, deliver gender um, equalities realised in the workplace, firstly. And secondly, overall, that in PNG um, we empower women to live, li- live lives that are productive and free of violence. Um, and so um, we're motivated by, by those two goals and our approach whether it's innovative or practical, mm-hmm. practical might be innovative in, the, in a space where not very much has happened before, um, is really internally what can we do locally with um, our partners and nationally um, with the government. And our goal is to be a leader um, and a partner in, mm-hmm. in all of those things. As it's early days, it's really one where <clears throat> of sharing information, I think, is really critically the key. And uh, It's not something that comes naturally to corporations yeah. that compete. Um, so, uh, but I think this is one area where where different um, companies are learning to um, lower their barriers and uh, it's a powerful yes. opportunity to <clears throat> maximise our resources to create as, as an efficient and global response as possible. What we would really like to see um, as uh, a sort of supporters of a national um, effort would be a national response mm-hmm. and I've referred to the question before about the churches as being a really integral part of that a unified response with a common message um, needs to be developed at a national level not just so that we can follow it but so that we really do have um, a global approach to a very common problem yeah. across the country um, that would be uh, Really so sort of, step forward. Yeah, yeah, and if we could contribute to that work, we would definitely, obviously, want to do that. We will take our guidance from from the national government on
2: that. I'll leave that with you, then, yeah. Secretary. And I have to say, I think um, in my experience, the engagement of the private sector and working together as a sector and with other sectors is is actually really innovative globally. It's not something that goes without saying anywhere else. So it's it's a great step forward. Dengu, what, what about you? What do you reckon is either the, the, the big new innovation that we need to pursue or the, the gap that we need to fill or, or what's the biggest win you think that's happened in PNG?
4: A lot of change have uh, happened in the recent uh, uh, months and years like we've uh, discussed earlier on. But uh, a way forward, like I see, is you know a real partnership, real partnership with the government sector before we had the um, uh, private sector and the uh, churches and other entities working uh, working in isolation right. yeah,
2: absolutely. but
4: now there's improvement in partnerships. so we continue to, to grow that uh, networking and partnership strengthen that a lot more with uh, coordination from the government uh, at the from the national level that uh, people can feel that you know there is uh, some kind of accountability uh, for the services that they are delivering. And um, also there are men and boys behavior programs that I see working, but we need to also increase the amount of uh, uh, that program on the behavior change of men and boys. Yeah, and um, also, like uh, our secretary pointed out, professional counseling Uh, for both uh, men and boys in terms of I know there are many churches that are providing counseling services, but we need professional counseling in this area to address the issue of uh, family sexual violence uh, from a more general perspective. Yeah, So those are the areas that I see uh, that we really need to work and strengthen in order to move forward with this. Mm.
2: And on the basis of the conversation, it sounds like we can, you know, support your sector to develop some really innovative responses that mm. build on some of the work that's happened already. That sounds. I agree with you. I think that's absolutely an area of need. And secretary. Yes,
3: um, for for me from the government um, um, angle. Um, We sit and we look at what's happening out there with all our partners and who's doing a good job and what kind of awareness strategies are they using that we know we can replicate that right down. And I must thank DFAT for using rugby a lot. (laughs) P&G loves rugby. They love rugby. Um, They can miss other things, but when it comes to blues and maroons and hunters, Mm -hmm. they are watching. How can we make use of the of of rugby as um, advocators on gender-based violence. Mm-hmm. How can we uh, use television because they use uh, they watch this right in their villages. How can we better use that to show um, programs on GBV real stories about champions in the community not from another country or not from the national level but champions in the community that are that are making a difference, um, especially male. Mm. Um, when we show these programs of male trying to make a difference, um, talking about gender-based violence, addressing these issues, it makes a lot of difference mm. um, to many other men that are sitting there and watching. So that that's a, a that's big it. area uh, a... for us as yeah. well. Um, also, modern technology has taken Papua New Guinea by storm. Mm-hmm. And... Um, where some can't read and write, they're actually using mobiles now and they've learned to text. So mm. that's our literature, literacy, literacy teacher there. So how can we better make use of modern technology now? Yeah, yeah. yeah good question. How can we better make you know use of modern technology? Yeah. Uh, we've focused a lot with our censorship office on the effects and they're reviewing the censorship act. But what are all the positive... Mm-hmm. things that we can use that for. Yeah. Uh, my last one would be the standardized and institutionalized data yes. data yes. collection. Yes. Um, we still don't have proper data to support many of the things that we are saying. Yeah. Um, we see it, we see many things, but we still don't have uh, data.
2: So that's a big area that... Um, yeah. Um, we would need a absolutely. lot of focus on. I think we need to keep talking about that, particularly yeah. in the context of the uh, sustainable development goals, That's which right. now have a target around uh, incidence and prevalence of gender equality. Yeah. So we need to be able to report effectively, I think, if, for no other reason, but certainly it will help inform policy directions Definitely. and responses. So absolutely agree. And I think, actually we're out of time, aren't we? So uh, I know there's a lot more questions, but I think we can uh, ask if, if people stay and talk in the refreshments. And with that... Uh, Then going on, I think I might just say thank you very much to Dev Policy Centre and Stephen and Kath and Ashley. Thank you very much. And also to Loey. Thank you for your uh, support for this. And um, thanks to our speakers, Kimberly, Denga, and Anna, Secretary. Thank you very much indeed. And it's been great to have the opportunity to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank Thank you. you.
5: podcast from the development policy center for more information on our work visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au
4: to join the conversation on australian aid papua new guinea and the pacific and global development policy visit our blog at devpolicy.org at the blog you can also
5: sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media thanks for
3: listening